Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Colin trying to rev up the engine before he leaves the Planet Kia Studios. Talking about some more Bam out of bio production we got in game two last night with the Miami Heat found themselves tying the NBA Finals one apiece between them and the Denver Nuggets. So many questions asked about whether Denver was going to sweep the Miami Heat on their way to a title. West did tell you, no, stop this nonsense. We've done it too many times before. When a team wins pretty comfortably in game one, we often think it's going to be a sweep, but this is not how it usually works. Everybody gets fooled, and then game two, the other team comes back and win. wins. That's exactly what happened last night between the Heat and the Denver Nuggets. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We'll be talking plenty of NBA Finals. Of course, some Carolina Panthers news to get to as well. But it was a fascinating game to see that we finally have an NBA Finals series. We actually have something that is going to be competitive now with a tied 1-1 apiece NBA Finals here. Wes, I know you were talking about how you went to the barbershop on Friday. Mm-hmm. Nobody was really interested in this series like that. Yeah. Does a tied series actually change what people might be thinking about the Heat and the Nuggets? I think it does because people will want to see a lot of people. The reason they're not going to watch is because they think Miami's going to be taken care of handily. And I think now that they see Miami went in, got a game at Denver, a place that they hadn't lost at the entire postseason. Going back to Miami, we know what that Miami environment can be like when they're all dialed in. 305, them goons, as Kendra would say. <laughs> Khaled, Ross, everybody's going to be down there, the stars. You might get a Diddy appearance like you got in Game 7, so they know it's going to be rockers down there. But uh, last night, Miami just showed you the toughness, the resilience of this squad. They came in last night with a plan early, and you could just tell early on they were ready to go. When the Nuggets came back and took a – a double-digit lead, I thought maybe they might be in trouble, but I said I'm going to keep watching this thing, and Miami just battled back, man. It was a hell of a game. All right, let's dive right into it. You can text us your thoughts, your comments. We want to hear from you, 704-570-9610. Please text and share your comments. It'll be a lot of fun talking about the NBA Finals with us having a competitive series. Let's get off the bus. Fiddy, open up the doors. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! So we had the one and only Colin Hoggard before he left the studios trying to ignite the engine here by saying all of the, all of the, uh, excuse me, by referencing our Bam Adebayo conversation that we had, I believe on Thursday. And then on Friday, Fiddy wanted to bring that conversation to light after the show. Wes, you weren't there, but then he wanted to talk a little bit more about Bam between me and Colin in Hogg's office. And it continued to go south. <laughs> Fiddy would not leave it alone. Now we have people texting in. Jack said, and he's calling you out, yeah. said, Wes be putting Bam off. That man be balling whenever Wes throw dirt on his name heat fan said let's nip that bam slander in the bud while we're at it here Wes, what say you about the adebayo production well for one i say y'all say that last night because they won and he played well but a lot of heat fans have complained about him in the past and again all i said was i said that he's a really good player but i did say he just doesn't have a bag you don't throw him the ball down in the post and he gives you 
automatic bucket getting move. That is all that I said. But inside of the team construct, the way he played last night, he had the jump shot going, which freed him up to do a little bit of other things. He played well off the pick and roll. And then he also did well as a passer out of the pick and roll. So inside that team construct where he could get construct, where he could dish out those four assists that he got, nine boards, I think that he played well. And I think if Miami... Obviously, they won't have many nights. I'm not going to say they won't have another one where they'll shoot 48% from three. But if Miami's shooting the ball well from three, I really think their game plan of playing Jokic one-on-one will be very effective. I saw, I think it was Hardwood Paroxysm on Twitter, Matt Moore of the the Action Network. He said that the Heat have had six games where they shoot 45% from three-point range or better when they've had 25 or more attempts from three-point range, which is pretty ridiculous. And you look at them having done that six times, only a few other teams in NBA postseason history have had more than that, and only eight. I forget what team it was, but regardless, Miami is shooting very well this postseason, and we had no indication that was going to happen in the regular season. Now, some of these guys are just getting back to the law of averages here. They were very hurt throughout the regular season. That's the best explanation that I have for you as to why we've seen Miami play so much better in the in the postseason than right. they have in the regular season. Uh, Fiddy, did you have any Bam Adebayo comments? Because you said you were pulling against him kind of yesterday to the point where the fact that he actually was very good, you almost called in sick because you didn't want to deal with me or Colin. Yeah, no, I was sitting at my house watching, which was a thrilling game, too, of the NBA Finals. That was NBA Finals-level basketball last night. It was a lot of fun. Um, just dreading coming into work because I knew the amount of crap oh. <laughs> I was going to get after. I mean, Wes, you missed it. It was a knockdown, drag-out fight in Hoggard's office on Friday afternoon about Bam. Well, the thing is, Fiddy was in a bad mood on Friday. Yeah, okay? And, you know, he talked in extremity, so I know oh, yes. how this conversation so, went. So Fiddy was in, in as bad a mood as I've seen him in quite some time, which is fine. This is the part about being a radio host, man. You got to bear that out in the public three hours a day. Like, that's just how it is. And so you let somebody cool off. That's just what radio life is. <laughs> but then he tries to let that fuel him into some BAM conversation. And me and Colin, we decided that we had time at that moment. <laughs> like, you know what? We don't need to go home. Like, we're here for the BAM conversation. And it got heated. Between, and you know, Colin, he can get a rise, too, as what Jeff just said, even before we transition. Mm-hmm. But here's the conversation with BAM, right? The fact fact is, I think, I know you've talked about him being a really good player. I think the word you used for me that I disagree with is limited. Because you're not wrong in the sense that it doesn't make much sense to give him the ball in the low post and then go ahead and have him bring you the post bag like a Jokic, like an Embiid. That's not a part of his game. But the dude is actually as skilled a big guy as there is in the NBA outside of your top three, four top-notch players at that position, right? Jokic, duh. Okay. Joel Embiid wins MVP. He's going to be more skilled. Sabonis is very skilled. Now, I don't trust him as much shooting the mid-range, but Devontae Sabonis is very skilled. This is the thing. Eric Spolstra is running their offense through Bam Adebayo, and it is working. They had 129 offensive rating last night, and even in game one, they missed a lot of open shots, but they generated a lot of open shots by running their offense through Jimmy Butler, just kind of roaming around, trying to figure out some of the spaces he can crawl through. Yeah. And Bam Adebayo at the top of the key because he'll take Jokic off of the dribble. So much of their design is to put Bam in space. It's really worked. And I know you have here in the rundown, Wes, 
Is it just the idea to try to put Nikola Jokic in one-on-one basketball? Miami has benefited from that on a lot of offensive possessions. Yeah, I like that because when you look at how the players played, and they always talk about how role players play better at home, but you look down the line at Denver's top dogs as far as their role players go. Michael Porter Jr. is one for six, two of eight from the field. Uh, Jamal Murray, now he's a star, but he didn't play quite as well either without Jokic finding him in some of those rhythm shots that he can knock down. KCP was one for three from three. He was all out of sorts last night, especially with some terrible fouls. Fouled three-point shooters twice in last night's game. But Denver, when they were able to uh, hold down Jokic's, and they still shot 39% from three, but they just didn't. They didn't hit as many to hurt the Heat. They only made 11 to Miami 17. But I do like that game plan. I know that the Nuggets will adjust, but I think that's Miami's best chance. And they have to hope, like I said, that, bam, you get the great play from bam. You get the great three-point shooting from the rest of the crew. Mm -hmm. You let Jokic do his damage because it's basically analytics basketball. And I was looking at at it like that last night while I was watching the game. I was like, okay, Jokic is getting two. Miami's getting three. And that's what they were doing. And then when they weren't getting that, they were attacking the basket and getting and ones. Bam got a big and one. Duncan Robinson got a big and one. So it was kind of analytics. They're like, all right, Jokic, we'll let you come down and get two. We're going to go back down and get three. And then we may get a stop and then come down and get another three. And that's going to start trumping what you're doing. So if I'm the Heat, that's the strategy I take in the game, too. They have to be ready for adjustment, surely. But that was a nice game plan and adjustment by Spolstra last night, man. That's why he's... He's wanted to go. Anytime you have a star for the opposition, I always kind of subscribe to the theory that you let the star do his damage and you just limit the production of the role players. It's how I've always been. And it kind of came to light to me watching. Yes, this is an obscure reference. But remember when the five seed in the Indiana Pacers in 2018 took Cleveland and LeBron James to a seven-game series in the first round. Mm -hmm. That Cleveland team would end up going all the way to the NBA Finals. That was during the run of LeBron reaching the NBA Finals every single season. But remember, they would just allow LeBron to go nuclear, okay? He would get Mm -hmm. 40 points per game. He would get a million assists and rebounds. But they didn't allow the role players to get cooking. And so you know you can't stop LeBron. You know you cannot stop Nikola Jokic. Like, that's just not happening. But just don't let the role players go crazy. And Michael Porter Jr. has not been great offensively. Bruce Brown, while good in the first half, I believe he cooled off a little in the second. You mentioned Jamal Murray. KCP, as good of a fit he is for that team, he's not been hitting his threes in this series. So they're letting Jokic, at least in game two, they let him go crazy. Offensively just hitting a lot of buckets, but passing out of it, he's still doing a great job at it. But they're just not allowing easier looks for some of the role players. And this is coming down to a great game plan from Eric Spolster to and then try how to keep big them alive. Yeah, and then how big do you think it will be if Hero returns in game? three i don't even know if they're going to play him if tyler hero is ready to go that's going to be someone you can pick on defensively to be fair not all unlike a duncan robinson or some of the other guys but this goes to the whole chemistry thing they've been playing so well they've been playing just flat out better with tyler hero out of the lineup and so now if he's ready to come back in game three of the nba finals do you want to mess with that on top of how great they've been I think if you bring him back, it has to be in an extreme limited role to where if it's not working, you just got to be like, look, Tyler, I know we paid you 30 milli here. It's a big old contract to have somebody sit on the bench in the NBA finals. But so what, man? I think defensively, 
you can start to pick on him a little bit more. And if his shot isn't falling, then Tyler Hero is one of those guys that doesn't really help you in a lot of other areas. Maybe in the mid-range, he can help you one dribble off the three-point line, knock down 15 feet out. If he can do that, then maybe you play him. I don't know if they're going to play Tyler Hero, though. See, I think that they do. I, I think that's how much respect I have for Spolstra. I think that he will relate to him what is needed, what's required of him. And I think Miami has a good enough locker room to be able to keep that in check. And I I don't see Hero coming out there trying to be the hero because he knows that he's going to have to deal with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Udonis Haslam and those guys saying, hey, dog, what you doing? You tripping. So I think that they have the (laughs) locker room that's capable of of absorbing him back into the lineup and him not messing up the chemistry. And I think Spolster will know exactly what to do with him. All right, let's get to the first soundbite we have. Michael Malone talked about last night's loss. It wasn't really X's and O's oriented. Instead, he discussed the effort. Well, I don't think that's the biggest question. Now, let's talk about effort. I mean, this is NBA Finals, and we're talking about effort. That's a huge concern of mine. You know, and you guys probably thought I was just making up some storyline after game one when I said we didn't play well. We didn't play well. And tonight, you know, that the starting lineup to start the game is 10-2 Miami. Start the third quarter. They scored 11 points in two minutes and 10 seconds. Um, and we just got, you know, we had guys out there that were just... Whether feeling sorry for themselves for not making shots Mm. or thinking they can just turn it on or off. Um, This is not the preseason. This is not the regular season. This is not round. This is the NBA Finals. And that to me is really, really perplexing, disappointing. Real quickly, is there a player you think he was talking about in there? Because I've got to guess. From his description, it really sounded like Michael Porter Jr. A hundred percent. Because he was not good <laughs> The light skin deal. Listen, I'm a brother. The, the, the light skin brothers get a bad rep to being soft, man. So well, I think I've thought about that. And, and MPJ, he's not doing a whole lot to help that stereotype, if that's what you want to put on him right now. Because <laughs> he was good in game one, but yeah. he wasn't hitting shots. And defensively, he was also a problem. You had but another see, point. Yeah, and I think about that, too, with the experience. This is the inexperience of being in the finals, and this is that toughness that Miami grit. That's what is making the difference in situations like that. Because you talk about Michael Porter Jr. barely trotting out for closeouts on guys when they're shooting and just not giving that type of effort, not really understanding what's at stake. And that's the difference with a team like the Miami Heat that have been there, done that. They don't want to feel that feeling of losing in the finals again. Michael Porter Jr. and the crew, they're kind of new to this. And Miami is true to this, uh, you know, to put it plainly. And so I think that that is making a difference as well. He needs to understand the intensity you have to have on every possession. That's a that's a quick segment, by the way. New to this or true to this? Yeah. Find out what happens later this week as the <laughs> as the week goes on. Fiddy, close us out with an opinion of yours. Did y'all see his wired interview at the middle part of the first quarter where they're down twenty one to ten? I did not see it, but he's been fantastic Go on the mic. Go back and watch that. I'm a Tibbs guy because he coaches the Knicks and he kind of has that same mentality. This this might be my favorite coach in the NBA. No, oh, Michael Malone has been fantastic on the mic this entire postseason run, trying to create narratives. And with that, you know we have a lot to talk about when the instrumental runs out behind us. Like mm. that has not happened in God knows how many months. So we either have to add to it or we <laughs> got to hurry up. We got to get to the second segment. We've got plenty to get to. More on the Carolina Panthers. One of the fan favorite free agents no longer out there. Carolina missed out on a potential opportunity. We'll discuss the impact of that coming up next on Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. 
So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Wes and Walker on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Again, we want to hear from you on the text line, 704-570-9610. 803 number, after I asked you how worried you were about a certain free agent signing with a different team that many Panthers fans wanted. It's not on the market anymore. 803 said, I don't understand the hysteria of the Panthers not signing Leonard Floyd. He's been okay, if not below average, most of his career, aside from his first season in L.A. And so Leonard Floyd, someone that a lot of Panthers fans have been wanting Scott Fitterer to go after, he signs with the Buffalo Bills, just a one-year deal, and Buffalo has been going to work along the defensive line. They also signed Puna Ford, the defensive tackle, to a one-year, two-and-a-quarter-million-dollar deal, and this was after also locking up Ed Oliver. The also, former- they can choke again. Oh, Fitty loves it. You just made Fitty so happy <laughs> with Buffalo choking again. This is why, though, that they're signing all the, they know their window is right now mm-hmm. and they've got a lot of pressure on that organization. So they're trying to make sure they cover all their loose ends. They go after Leonard Floyd on top of locking up Ed Oliver, by the way, four year, $68 million extension, 45 mil guarantee. That was a puzzling deal to me. I've always liked him, but he's not been the player I thought he was going to be. Yeah, I liked him coming out of school, but it's like, why did they give him that type of money? Like he, to me, he hasn't earned that yet. So, Good enough, still potential, still relatively young. That's why they did it. But you're right, probably based off of his production, not not worth that. Yeah. Not at least right now. Um, how big of a miss was this for Carolina missing out on Leonard Floyd? I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I mean, okay, let me preface. I will say they could have gone out and gotten him, and it definitely would have helped. But there's also a reason he was sitting there as long as he has. He's still a good player, yes. He's had nine sacks the last two seasons. He's only got one double-digit sack season in his career. Uh, He really woke up when he was in L.A., and he's relatively young going into his eighth season. But um, I don't think it's a a make-or-break thing for this team. I talked about how to get into that elite level or even very good level for this defense. They need to up up by about 10 10 sacks at least, and then you're talking – if you get to that 15-plus range more onto the total you had from last year, then you're talking about an elite, vicious unit. But this guy, you know, he can bring it in. But, again, this is why you draft, and you're still going to see what you have. You're running a new unit. You're going to have a lot of new schemes. So they can manufacture stats mm-hmm. from um, and manufacture sacks from a multitude of ways in this defense under Ezra Evero. So I think it was a miss by the Panthers, no doubt about it. But it's not, in my opinion, going to make or break the season. At Brad M. Lee wrote in, sharing a defensive line with Aaron Donald will make anyone look good. Big Cat Dan said they would rather have Yannick and Gakwe. We're going to get to some of the other free agents available out there for Carolina to potentially sign. But the production has been good the last three seasons. Since 2020, 
When he made the move from Chicago to the Rams organization, Leonard Floyd finished with 11 sacks then, 12 sacks in 2021, nine sacks just last season, obviously the lowest of all of the three, turning 30 years old. I still think this is something Carolina should address. I, I'm I'm not going to say that I'm frustrated by it, right? I, I don't think this is such a huge, impactful move. Oh, Carolina, if they just would have signed Leonard Floyd, they'd be real well off. And now we're looking at a Super Bowl or contending deeper into the postseason. But it's certainly a weakness. And I like Marquise Haynes enough to be a situational pass rusher. But Leonard Floyd is better than Marquise Haynes. And you could put him out there a lot alongside Marquise Haynes coming in and helping. And then it would be an interesting situation with what you do with Etor Gross Matos. YGM has not been fantastic. We've talked about the possibility of him being a surprise cut or certainly not living up to the second round billing. There are some other guys to look into, though, Wes. Mm-hmm. And I think we've disagreed on this before. But if you go to PFF and then you rank the top unsigned free agents coming into this season, still out there to be had, Jadeveon Clowney is number one on that list. And he happens to play the same position that Leonard Floyd does. He's bounced around from one team to another, just played with Cleveland. He did voice a displeasure with his role and how he was used last year. But I think people... Not seeing Jadeveon be the guy they all thought he was going to be when he was the number one overall pick. Sure. I think that's clouded people's judgment on just how good he is. Because, no, he's not a Hall of Famer. He has not led any kind of Hall of Fame career. But I think this guy still is one of the better edge rushers in the league. He's an above-average guy. And if you think that the production is going to continue to go down, that's fair. Because he's also 30 years old. But if you're talking about a projected contract for him, according to PFF, being one year, $8 million, so you just have him come in, be a hitman for just one season, and then you let him move on. You're not talking about tying him up long term. He comes in, and even if he drops down a little bit in production, the guy's always been a very good run stopper. We don't see the sacks there, but he's always been very good against the run. I think that would help this Carolina team on top of adding some pass rush. I like Clowney. I wouldn't mind going after Clowney, and I hope people don't have the judgment clouded because he was not a Hall of Famer. He is not that. But if we're just talking about, hey, do you want an above-average edge rusher? Hell yeah, I'll take that, and I still think that Carolina should pursue him. I uh, definitely am a guy that's going to remain asleep uh, on Jadavian Clowney. I just think that this is a guy (laughs) that – I think the fact of when you talk about him not being a a Hall of Famer, him not being a player, a lot of people have – wanted him to be coming out of school. I, th- I think it speaks to a mentality. I think it's a guy that when you bring him into the locker room, you have these young guys that are ready to go that are out to prove something. And, you know, not that I know from experience how he is in the locker room, but I just think when you have a guy that with all that talent, that motivation is the only thing really keeping him from becoming an all-time player, and he has not done that, uh, I-, I think that says a lot. I think the Panthers can do without – Jadavion Clowney. I think that you just kind of hang back at this point if you want to go get an Ngakwe or if you want to get one of those guys, but you've drafted a DJ Johnson. I'd say you see what he can do. Some of these guys that are sitting there, they'll still be sitting there in a little bit, and there's a reason that they're sitting there uh, waiting for a team to call them, but I think you wait and see what you've got in camp with some of these young players. I mean, we've heard YGM. I know that a lot of people don't want to hear that, but they've been saying how well he's been doing. You've got DJ Johnson. So you've got some guys to kind of test out to see how they are in a new defense. That's the thing. If you're coming back to the same old thing, 
then maybe you do have to look outside to see if you can get some help. But you got guys that are getting into uh, a new defensive scheme and also with that pressure on them because I know for YGM, he knows this is it for him. This is kind of a make-or-break season. You see what you got in DJ Johnson. I think that's the best route for them at this point. And then if it's not working out, you go out and find some veteran help. I, I'd, I'm interested just how much Scott Fitter is going to pursue another edge rusher because if you shore that up, it's a pretty big weakness that you – make a little more tenable because right now you're putting a lot of stock into Marquise Haynes, who has always been small, has always been a NASCAR package type of guy where pin your ears back and just let him lose to go to the QB has a role here. But YGM is not the all around player. He hasn't shown it yet. And DJ Johnson, it's just so much that you're relying on someone that's a raw prospect at 25, right? Like this is when you say raw, these guys are usually, what, 22 coming out of college? Sure. But this is already someone that's a little bit older. People are a little worried about the clowny attitude. You kind of pointed to it. The bagel guy said, clowny quit on the Browns last year and is known for taking plays off. No, thank you. Matt and Greensboro said, clowny has made a nice career out of one incredible highlight hit while he was still playing at South Carolina. <laughs> um couple of other people writing in 803 said I'm judging clowny based on perceived attitude in a young locker room. We don't need it. So there was at the end of the season where clowny did not think that he was being utilized correctly. And if you think that's going to be a problem and you've talked to clowny throughout the off season, clowny is steadfast in what he wants to do and you don't share that same vision. Okay. I'll back off. But if you do want someone to come in and shore up the other side, opposite of Brian Burns, plus he's been so good against the run. And I think there's some positional versatility with him here, too. Like, because he is such a strong guy, I do think he can hold his own in an odd man front, playing defensive end, where you are also talking about just different packages. Like, I think you can use him in some different sets. That's why it's tantalizing to me. But no question. If the attitude is something that continues to be a problem this offseason, then maybe you do shift your focus more to a Yannick and way which you know the sacks have been there but every other play that he doesn't get home like pff will tell you he's not been good like not even just average he's just been flat out bad anytime he doesn't get home to the quarterback and so that's a little concerning melvin ingram is someone still out there 34 years old maybe you could bring him in on a one-year contract did have a decent season last year and by the way we saw him at the NFL draft party at Thomas Davis's house. We did. Saw him walk through. Can't miss that guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, when he walks in, I'm like, oh, okay. That's a above <laughs> average pass rusher for the last seven years or so. And also the thing is, too, you know, what are you going to pay Clowney? Does he still feel like he can command a salary that's going to be more than the minimum, really, that he should get? Because this is a guy that had two sacks last year and four tackles for loss. So, in my opinion, he deserves nothing more than a one-year minimum deal yeah, to come not, in and prove it. Well, and other teams feel the same way. And that's the thing. And it's like, yeah. is he willing to play for that? Probably not. Well, he might not have a choice, though. And this is how it always goes. You you have some kind of integrity and discipline. Oh, I'm not going to give in until you're sitting at home and no team wants to pay you multiple yeah. years. And he's past the point now where he's not going to get his multiple year contract that he has been pursuing for so long. So Clowney's out there, Yannick Ngakwe, Melvin Ingram, there are a couple. Justin Houston is even out there who had a decent year on 400 snaps. And Frank Clark, if I'm not mistaken, he's out there as well now. He is a live wire, though. There. <laughs> yeah, if if you don't want Clowney <laughs> because of his attitude, maybe Clark is not the guy to bring in outside of Clowney. Um, speaking of the defensive line here, Wes, here we are trying to figure out who's going to be opposite Brian Burns, popular talking point surrounding Carolina. What about just who's going to be playing next to him sometimes? Right. What about Shy Tuttle? 
we had this conversation on overrated, underrated Carolina Panthers coming into the season. And for the most part, we brought up similar names. But I think you're right to bring up Shy Tuttle on this rundown. We haven't talked about him a lot. We have not. The only time I've really heard anything glowing said about him, it was Big Swagoo on ESPN talking very briefly about Shy Tuttle and how he liked the pickup by Carolina. You get an interdivision guy, he comes in, really helps anchor that odd man front. He likes him. And I know you're starting to toy with the idea of him not being talked about as much as we should. Well, he's coming in and he's going to be the anchor of your 34. And that is going to be very important. You have to have a guy that is going to take up blockers, take up that space and allow those backers to get the job done and maybe create some one-on-one matchups for somebody to be able to make a play. They've been talking about how impressive he's been since he's gotten into Carolina right now. They said that they have been shocked at the lineman's size and extreme smooth transition throughout the first couple of weeks of OTAs. They said he's getting pushed at the line of scrimmage, altering throwing angles, and <gasps> batted down a Bryce Young ball. So, you know, <laughs> not to scare everybody out it's there. It's because Shy's so good. It has nothing to do with Bryce. Right, but this is the thing, you know, that you want from your nose guard is a guy that can give you some pass rush as far as collapsing the pocket. You Look, he's been highly productive for a man of his size, 6'3", 300 pounds, but the anchor of a 34 that can get you 49 combined tackles that he had last year. I mean, that, that's pretty impressive in a couple of sacks. So I think that we are definitely underrating him on the defensive line because the job of a 3-4 nose guard is that of the utmost importance. And even a nose guard in a uh, 4-3 as well. But I think that this is a guy that's going to be key to how good the Panthers' defense is going to be. Can he hold it down in there? Also, a uh, Winston-Salem native, which right. I did not know. He should have came to Wake Forest. But uh, <laughs> I don't know what happened there. But uh, anyway, this is a guy, like I said, that's going to be really, really important to this defense and how good they can be. Uh, they're going to want to keep him healthy because that's a man's job to be a 3-4 nose guard because you have nobody beside you. Um, it's funny, too. You, you know, like the Bill Belichick effect where they would always go after guys that played really well against them. So Wes Welker, when they had so many troubles with Miami, weirdly so, they would lose to Miami on a 13-3 and type season, 12-4. and Miami would be one of those losses. So they're like, all right, screw this. Let's just go get Wes Welker. Yeah. And they would do that quite a bit. Carolina, when they played New Orleans the last game of the season, that was Shy Tuttle's by far highest graded game. Just a monster against the run, doing a pretty good job of getting in the backfield as well. I wonder just how much that game impacted their decision. Clearly, you're not going to make a sole decision based off of week 18, but I do wonder just, okay, this dude blew us up. Let's just bring him on our side this time. No doubt about it. And and you're right. I, I, I like that you bring his name up because... If you talk about Derek Brown and Shy Tuttle just being monsters up front, just hard dudes to handle, maybe it frees up Brian Burns more than we've been giving him yeah, credit for. No doubt. Well, and, and him being a reason, because it's always been, they need Hassan Reddick. They need YGM to improve. They need DJ Johnson to contribute earlier and sooner rather than later. Yes, that would be great. They need Leonard Floyd, right? That would be great. But also maybe Shy and Derek Brown just hold it down enough to where you got to pay attention to the big boys and Brian Burns is free. Yeah, and no doubt about that. And as well, you're talking about Frankie Louvu. If you want him to have the type of production that yeah. he had last year, you're going to need that as well. And also Shaq Thompson. I mean, everybody has to work in unison. There's no question about it. And if you do not have 
a really good anchor of that 34, man, you're going to be seeing a whole lot of running backs having great days against the Carolina Panthers. That's just how it's going to go because those offensive linemen can move him out of the way, especially the number one thing you want from a 3-4 anchor is not to be able to be blocked by one guy. If he can be blocked by one guy, you're going to have a really, really bad day uh, stopping the run because that means they're just going to be able to take care of him. Other guys are going to be able to go up and get on those linebackers, and then off you go. Lots of sports center highlights there, man. So you have to be a guy that's willing to do the dirty work and just get right in there and take on two guys at a time, not complain about it, not care about your tackles, not care about your pressures, anything like that. You are there to be of service to the other guys on that defense. Um, not only did we bring up Derek Brown, he made an all-breakout team alongside another certain Panther defender. We can get to that a little bit later in the show, according to Bucky Brooks. Coming up next, it'll be the Campus Corner. And coming up even before that, we got to get to the first Fitty Flash of the day. It's all right to be a little Fitty. A little hometown or a big old city. Might as well share, might as well smile. I've got a doozy one for you guys to start the show. I told you guys down in the fishbowl that Kyrie Irving had expressed his interest in joining LeBron in L.A. next year. I was wrong. According to Chris Haynes of Bleacher Report, Irving has expressed interest to the Dallas front office to push to trade for LeBron this summer. Oh! And the Mavericks even were preparing an offer back at the trade deadline when the Lakers' season was spiraling out of control to team up LeBron, Kyrie Irving, and Luka Doncic. So, of course, we got to wait and make sure if LeBron wants to continue to do this, like he said after they got swept in the Western Conference Finals. But, uh... An interesting development as, as LeBron and, and Kyrie want to reunite themselves. What type of offer, though, would they be able to make to the Lakers? Because Lakers fans would be pretty upset to not get a good return for LeBron. And speaking of that, you did give up some assets in order to go get Kyrie Irving. How much does Dallas have that the Lakers would find intriguing? It would be a really tough trade to pull off. I can't even tell you what kind of offense that would be. Just two brutes out there on the wing with Luka and LeBron. That would be crazy with Kyrie also serving as another ball handler. It would be amazing if that were to happen. We'll see if Kyrie stays put in Dallas or tries to make his way to the Lakers organization to play alongside LeBron. We'll give you a college baseball update coming up next. It's the Campus Corner Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. West 
Justin Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ in Charlotte FC. Major League Soccer is now in season, and the WFNZ Jack Daniels Doghouse is open for business. The Doghouse doors will open up three hours before every home match, so stop by and get ready for kickoff with some of your favorite friends. Join us for the pregame and postgame parties at the Jack Daniels Doghouse. Coming to you live from the Audi Charlotte studio and brought to you by Jack Daniels and Pepsi, only from Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, the exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan. Hit that follow button on the social medias. we got the content coming for you all day on the WFNZ Instagram and Twitter. Also, check out the Wesson Walker Show page on Twitter. i got to make us an IG, too. I'm going to do that, too, man. And uh, follow all us right. all personally, uh, Walker Mail on Twitter, HTB underscore Josh on Twitter and Instagram. And I changed my name this weekend to Wes Bryant underscore 72 on Twitter. Did you really? And Instagram. Wait, yes, I got what? a little tip from our uh, social media person at the uh, old ACC. So I uh, followed that advice. Oh, man, Westcott Range is iconic, though. It is. It is. Westcott Range. <laughs> That's what people think. It is. Think. But I also read, too, from an analytics standpoint that it does help help you out uh, as far as having your real name in the uh Wait, I know we got to get, get to some baseball stuff. Yeah. But it, it's just the name, like the number... Is that you just wanted to add to that because there well, wasn't just get, Wes Bryant? Yeah, I couldn't get that. Yeah. I had a couple combos that I couldn't work out. Okay. West got range is still right here, though, baby. What about West Bryant got range? I'm, <laughs> I'm going to fit that in again. I just want people to know how versatile you are. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to put that in the uh, the bio, though. Okay. So they can see That's that. That's it. Just so no, you no, know. Man. Like, you talk remember you got those, range, baby. Remember that tweet profile that you yeah. always, talk about range? And they put like some athlete yeah. or celebrity in there. Listen, That's man, you. one day the show's gonna be on Netflix. One day, I, I've already got that. <laughs> okay, you know, West got range on Netflix. I'll be coming in about five deal. years. Hundred percent. I can't wait. How you think I'm gonna get the years? Like me and you gonna have the years. His fitty gonna have whatever big old pickup truck when we do the big deal and we start <laughs> making the millions. And then I had a Netflix wait. show and all that. Wait, what is your dream car, Fitty? What's your dream car? What's the thing you're gonna get? Oh, I. That's a really good question. He he got it on the head because I'm a truck guy. Mm-hmm. I'd probably have like some souped up Ford Raptor. All right, that okay. You got to wrap. Sounds good. Let, let's talk baseball, but All I right. do want to. I do want to get your inclusions on the text line. What is your dream car? Oh, I love this. Seven zero four. I know my son is gonna love to hit it. Five seven zero ninety six ten. We want to know what your dream car is. When you make it, maybe you already have and you got it, or one day when you do make it, what car are you gonna get? And until then, we can talk a little baseball. All right, baby. Let's go now to the campus, Kona, and folks, I'm excited. Fiddy is trying to hate giving me the history, but I'm not going to let him steal the joy <laughs> of the Demon Deacons on the diamond. The Diamond Deeks, okay? I like it. 48 runs scored over the course of the regional this weekend. Second highest total in the opening rounds in NCAA tournament history. They had to play on a delay against Maryland. Didn't play till late night. I thought they weren't going to play until the next day. And they put 21 on the Terrapins. They look like the X-Men out there to play today, man. I saw the game yesterday against George Mason. My man gunned somebody down from center field to third base. But listen, they are now 50-10. and 10. They broke the program record for regular season wins, ACC wins, ACC series wins, and overall wins. Heading into the contest Sunday, they were 37-4 when they scored first. Pitching staff leads the nation in hits per nine innings, strikeouts, whip, strikeout to walk ratio, and ERA. Is that it? While ranking second nationally in walks per nine and strikeouts per nine. And then with those bats, they lead the ACC in walks, their third nationally. 
slugging percentage, and they rank in the top six of every offensive category in the ACC. So the Deeks ain't playing no games out there. So you come out there if you want to. We're going to put these bats on your head, not literally, but just smacking balls out of the park, and you can't deal mm. with the pitching staff. My man, Rhett Lauder, is out there, and he's not playing any games coming to a major league stadium probably about um, four or five years. Um, like <laughs> no, you're right. The Diamond Deeks, as we shall now refer to them as, they beat George Mason 15-1. to They outscored three opponents in this run 48 to seven it is one of the most dominant runs we've ever seen through the ncaa tournament to this point now we know that baseball it is a fickle sport that was the word of the day by the way before we hopped on (laughs) it is absolutely a fickle sport and fitty over there knows during the mike fox days during like the mid-2000s we would see north carolina get to the final they would get to the championship series and even win the first game, and then they would drop it. Those damn Beavers from Oregon State <laughs> every single year. North Carolina just couldn't get the job done. Wake Forest, dominant run so far with ease moving to the Super Regional. I'm pulling for them. My Charlotte 49ers are out. They had a great they had a great little regional tournament run, though. Yeah. Historic season for them. Knocking out Clemson. They do lose to Tennessee, so they don't advance. But still a very fun season when it didn't look like it was going to be great. So cool for them, even if they are out of the tourney. So, Wes, I'm going to be pulling for the Diamond Deeks. Hey, man, listen, UNCC, though, got to give up credit to them as well. Yep. Second time in program history, they won the Conference USA Championship, but the second time in program history, the Conference USA Champion has won two games in the same postseason to reach the regional final. They eliminated site host and number three ranked Clemson, so not a lot to be upset about Go if home, you Clemson. are the shot. <laughs> 49ers, the win tied when they beat Clemson, tied their highest-ranked opponent ever defeated and gave Charlotte four wins over top 10 teams this season. So, listen, the green and white, they're doing all right, man. Yeah, they are doing all right. And this is something where we kind of expected something a little more from this baseball team. I know my friends that were very tuned into this entire tournament run, even at the very end of the season, they were a little disappointed with the way they were headed. But then they win the Conference USA tournament, and they, they are able to knock out Clemson, as you mentioned, as the uh, as the home team, that number one seed in that region. So it was really cool to see Charlotte end on a positive note. And I feel like you saw a couple of strong momentum finishes for basketball, at least winning the CBI. I know people still aren't thrilled with the way that that basketball season went, especially during the transfer portal. But maybe you take a step up with this one, making it as far as you did in the actual tournament where there's a legitimate championship one at the very end of this. Yeah, and I read a great article about Wake Forest us and I well I started I've read most of it where they were talking about how they just had the culture change and it started right after COVID and how some of the guys who have become superstars now like Brock Wilkin who at this point I believe either should be the ACC all-time leader in home runs but how it started with him being a young guy kind of asserting himself they've got Nick Kurtz that's a top-notch uh, major league prospect as well I mean Justin Johnson Danny Corona came out and had two big home runs yesterday and then as I said man just that pitching staff the best in the country Rhett Lauder Steph Keener Josh Hartle and the the story about Rhett Lauder was so interesting because they talked about how the coach for the team went to eat dinner at a restaurant one of the coaches and he comes out and he was supposed to go to a Panera then he was going to go to (laughs) a um, uh, one of the juice spots and he okay. goes in there, and a guy that feeds them uh, players on travel baseball went in there, Tom Walter, 
the coach for Wake Forest, he goes in to eat at a uh, steakhouse, and the coach is sitting there, and he just says to him, Rhett Louder, just out of nowhere. And they said they had seen him play three or four times, didn't think he was anything that special. And the coach said, listen, if you bring this guy in, he's going to be a first-team All-ACC player. And listen, 14-0 and on the season, no L's taken, 1.77 ERA, all right? And then he is just canning guys left and right, 125 strikeouts to be exact. The Deeks have three pitches that are over 100 strikeouts when you talk about louder, Josh Hartle, and Sean Sullivan, man. So the Wake team, the only thing that makes me nervous, man, is when the media starts talking about a team being unbeatable, unstoppable, and that's what they're saying about Wake. They're saying they have no weaknesses and things of that nature, so it makes me just a little bit nervous. We'll see. We'll see. I'm pulling for them, though. The Diamond Deeks, baby. Love the nickname. We'll see, man. I think it's going to be tough for anybody to beat them uh, twice in these college baseball, in the college baseball tournament. But when we come back, we're going to talk some NBA draft. You know what it is. Is baby Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson. Let's get it. This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC.